And I guess if I asked you, are you ready if the Lord came back, would you be okay with going? Yeah? Okay, I thought you might be. Let's take our Bibles and let's head for a Bible study this evening. If you came walking in, by the way, and uh, you bypassed a couple things, there's notes at the back door. Feel free to get up and grab them if you'd like. If you bypass the communion elements, we're going to do that as part of our service. Feel free to step back and get those communion elements. I forgot to put a piece of paper there. There are some that are marked for gluten-free, uh, and those are the ones that look like the hourglass. Uh, so if you need those special for the communion, then by all means. What I wanted to do is take a few moments. Several people made comment. They said, oh, welcome back from vacation. It was, I wasn't away on vacation. Okay. What we were doing this morning uh, is we went down to Sinking Springs and ministered in a church down there. And several of you asked how it went. Let me just bring you up to speed so that you're praying wisely and what commitments we have made as far as I have made on your behalf, I should say. Um, there's a church. It's a church that's been established for a number of years. They had at one time been a uh, really vibrant church, had a strong ministry, and then they had a couple splits. And then a pastor who had been there for a number, a number of years, he had passed away, and then they were without a pastor for three years or so. And during that time, Lou Man Warren and Earl Binkley were rotating, going down there for three years almost, wasn't it, Lou? That they were filling the pulpit. Then last year in October, Pastor Allen left here and went down there, Allen Newton, and became their pastor. The church is... um, is struggling because Pastor Allen's last week was last week. Uh, he's resigned because he just needed time. He just felt burnt out with everything that has happened with his passing of his wife, his family, and just felt he needed to step away, didn't have anything. Uh, to be able to offer individuals in ministry. So he decided that he had step away from ministry and just recoup, headed to Florida where he is going to be living in his parents' home. His parents right now are both in uh, rest home care facilities in poor health. So he's there to be able to offer any kind of help that they may need at this time. So he's out of the picture of this church. And the church uh, already last uh, two months ago when Pastor Allen mentioned to them that he was going to resign, Uh, We were asked, would we try to come beside them as a church to possibly provide pulpit fill, to possibly give direction and guidance? And so I have met with their officers on a few occasions already, have been down there multiple Wednesday evenings when we didn't have services for the last few months just to establish and figure out some things, especially in the last uh, few weeks. And uh, today, since this is the first Sunday without their pastor being there, uh, I assigned myself to go down there and meet with the people to be able to just to spend some time with them and talk with them and try to help lay some course. And I was so blessed this morning, just so blessed. Um, Wonderful folk, not as good as you, not as, as grand as you folk, but pretty close pretty close. I mean, just, they were extremely attentive, very interactive, um, not discouraged, not feeling defeated, and the men who are the leadership in the church, the three different deacons, man, they stepped up to the plate this morning. It was just how they conducted the service, how uh, they, they didn't have a, a pianist. We are, have asked several here to go down and just rotate because their piano player is uh, recovering from surgery this month, and several of our folk have said, we'll rotate different Sundays. And so this morning, the one deacon, he had, we had talked earlier this week, he says, I'm just going to accompany the singing with my baritone. And I had written back, I said, I'm really anxious to hear that. He said, so am I. Uh, but he did a wonderful job. It was just a sweet spirit, the Sunday school class. Don's a good teacher. 
Uh, I, you had told me that. He did an excellent job. He's going through the book of Acts. And so I'm really, really excited about their leadership, their core of people. Uh, I had the chance to say, uh, they have a lunch, and then they, in the afternoon they do a more of a, a Bible study through the foundation booklets. They're working through that. And um, so it's just a real sweet spirit. We have several things set up that our staff is going to take the first month, and then Lou is going to go down for a couple weeks, and Bob Flat's going to go down, Don Gates, and then do some rotating in the future to be able to do pulpit fills. So do pray. Do pray. Um, I took down some names with me of recommended individuals and handed that to the pulpit committee as well today. And we have offered to come beside and to help out as they may need help, even if it comes to a point where they get somebody and they need some, some subsidizing of finances. We have some money set aside for that type of thing. And so on our behalf, I mentioned to them that we would be willing to discuss to even help out to get somebody in there initially so that they could help build this church back up. And so there was around 30 people there this morning. And um, uh, most of them are in that 50 and above, but they had several visitors this morning. They had a couple different teenagers come who were visiting. I had a young lady who's from Germany and has been visiting now the last two weeks, and she wants to make this her church home. She's just a young gal right out of college. And then they had another um, set of folk that were visiting that were young, and so they have a lot of potential. They're right in a hub of a huge residential area that our teens have gone and done door-to-door visitation and handing out flyers. So extreme amount of potential down in that area. Pray for that church. Pray for wisdom as they seek to find somebody. But um, for several of you who were asked how it went, it was just, it was a very encouraging, very solid group, sweet group of people. And I had the opportunity then, even when I was preaching, this doesn't always happen. In preaching, when you stop and ask a question, in many churches, people just... And they were just like you guys. They were just right there. And they were, they were interacting and, and some middle, some minor discussion from Paul. But so it was really sweet. It was really good. And so next week, Pastor Art's going down, and then Pastor Kim will go down, Pastor John will go down, and then Lou will pick up the rotation of some of those men from our church. So if you want to go and be on a rotation to preach, let me know. It doesn't mean that's guaranteed, but let me know. If you say, I can help out with going down there, and I'd be glad to do special music, they are interested in having somebody. This isn't for you to try to do special music. Okay, but if you say, I have that gift, that ability, let us know, and we'll see what we can do. They're game and very open to some of those things. So what we want to do this evening is follow up a little bit with where uh, we, what we preach down there. It's a similar passage, Isaiah 6. You want to turn there? Isaiah 6. I think, uh, from what I understand from Pastor Art, what he told me a few minutes ago, I'm preaching the same thing he preached this morning. So if you want to fall asleep, I won't be offended. This would be the message. Wake up for communion, though. Okay? We're in Isaiah chapter 6. When he starts this passage, it is very interesting that the people, the Jewish people at this moment, they are really, really struggling. They are having a tough time. And the reason they're having a tough time is because, as you look at verse 1, what had happened to those people in Isaiah 6 verse 1, how does he begin it? In the year when King Uzziah what? 
Okay, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us unless we start putting in a little bit of information. We have to add, okay, this is around 739 B.C. That's going to play into uh, what's going on in the geopolitics right around them. But to give you a little bit more information and start saying how this would impact, because there are times when leaders, they come on the scene, they go off the scene, and everything just kind of rolls like it normally does. But when Uzziah died, that really would have put a, a huge bump in the road. The reason I say that is because he has ruled for 52 years. Think about that. That is more than most lifespans of people living in adulthood years during that age. Most people, if they have even 70 years, then this is the only king they've ever remembered. Because they would have forgotten the kings in their elementary years and their young teen years. And so this has been their singular leader for decades after decades. And he was a good king. Okay, he wasn't a perfect king. We read in some of the texts that he followed the Lord as long as he was having good advisors around him. And he was one of the few good kings in Judah, as you can read here and get some of the information. So he did well. That doesn't mean he was perfect but he did well. He was also a prosperous king. If you go into Chronicles and read the chapter about him, he has done building programs. During those 52 years, he was not living off the backs of the people. He was providing for the people. He was giving expansion to their economy, to their building programs. He was helping them. And so overall, this guy is a really, really good king. But on top of that, is they have had threats from other nations. In our study that Pastor Art has been taking us through, the, one of the, re, one of the um, uh, purposes of government is to provide protection. Well, Uzziah was a protector of the people. If you go through his story and go and study, he has helped them to defeat some ancient enemies, two of them in particular that you would read about. He has led them in battles against the Arabians and against the Philistines, and they have won. So during his tenure as king, for the 52 years, he's been a pretty good military leader. They have succeeded in expansion and is defeating the enemies, but there has been a real threat that has come from the east. The threat of the Assyrians has been growing now for about the last 150 years. And as the Assyrians were expanding their empire, they were getting closer and closer to what we might call that Middle East area, Palestine, the, the area of Judah and, and Israel, that the, were the tribes who were separated at this time, but in their realm. And Assyria is getting closer and closer. So what Uzziah did, Uzziah formed a, a, an alliance of five major countries in that region. They battled the Assyrians and defeated them. And so they have maintained their independence, but the Assyrians are still out there. They're still a threat. In fact, just for your information, 17 years from this point of Isaiah 6, the Assyrians will come back. There isn't a strong leader anymore in Judah, and they will be defeated. The northern kingdoms will, the northern kingdom will go into its dispersion or its diaspora. And that'll be the end of those ten northern uh, tribes being a singular nation. That'll happen in 722. So if you're living in Judah at this point and your king just died, you know that there's a threat out there. There's a terrorist organization nearby. You know that there's been battles taking place. And the Assyrians, do you remember anything about them? They are just some of the most wicked people. Do you remember a prophet who was told to go around this time period and preach to them? Anybody remember? Jonah was told to go to the capital city of 
Nineveh and preach, and he didn't want to because they were such wicked people. And so we know that these guys, when they came in, they were just cruel. And not to be, not to be overly gross, but one of the common practices that they do when they went into a territory, they would take, if they defeated us, let's say, and we were one of those small kingdoms, they would take all of our leaders and they would literally skin them alive and put their hides on the walls of the city to discourage anybody else from rebelling. I mean, they were cruel, vicious, just, just a, a horrible, horrible groups of people as far as they treated others. So Uzziah being the buffer, the military leader, it was so important for the people at that time. The people in, in Judah, when they lost Uzziah, they knew that they were vulnerable. And so this was just tragic for them. And again, I'm not saying he's a perfect king. He's the one that went into the temple and tried to offer sacrifice. Do you remember that story? That he went in, he wasn't supposed to, and God struck him with leprosy. Okay, so he's not a perfect king, but he is a really good king for the most part and did well until those last few years when he violated and as a result he had to be a recluse. But he finally dies. And when he dies, he's well-loved. He's, he's been there for a long time. L- let me see if I can make an analogy. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You won't remember. But a few of us will remember, uh, those of us who are in my age group. Do you remember where you were when John F. Kennedy was assassinated? Do you remember the day? Yeah, right? I remember exactly where we were when we heard about it. Do you, to some of you, let's bring a little bit more close to this. Do you remember when the space shuttle blew up? Do you remember where you were? Okay. Do you remember where you were when the towers fell? Okay. Those things make an impact on us, yes? And, they, and, they, and, and when like, the towers fell, do you remember everybody seemed to be just, it was a tizzy. It, it was an unsettling moment. You can imagine that. Our nation has had a few of those. Like when leaders have died in the past for whatever reason. It's an unsettling moment. And here the leader was for 52 years. And all of a sudden it threw him off. So do we have a lot in common with those people? Do we face some unsettling moments right now? I faced it this morning when I came back and had to fill up my gas in my car. I was unsettled by how much gas has gone up lately. Some people are unsettled because of the flooding that took place just last month down in the south where several people were killed. There's, there's unsettling. Has COVID caused some unsettlement in our culture? Yeah. Has the education system caused the world to feel like, whoops, we're on our head. Everything is upside down. You know, when you look at some of the things... Yeah, just how the world is right now shaping. I just put a chart up here where the United States had been a major supplier for oils and helping out and creating stability. Right now in Europe, you know who's become the number one supplier of oil to the European nations? It's Russia. It's Russia. You know, they're getting their claws in more and more. That causes me to go, ooh, that's just, that, that really unsettles the arrangements and the difficulties, and then, then I, I don't know about you, I don't, I don't want to be focusing on it, but when I look at Washington, D.C., I don't get a real feeling of peace and security. And I, I got to tell you this, I don't get a real f- good feeling of hope. When I look at the news, which I have sworn off, and I told Deb I'm not watching the news anymore, and I went to it last week, okay, for 20 minutes before we came back to church for a prayer night, 
boy, did we need prayer after I just watched the news for a few minutes. And it causes us to be unsettled at moments so we can relate exactly to what those people were and what they were feeling. Because a lot of what you feel, and, and this is me, and probably you might feel the same way. I'm really not that concerned about me. I'm more concerned about my kids and grandkids, what they have to face. It's an unsettled world. So we're living in Judah, and you're thinking, what about my kids and grandkids? That enemy, the Assyrians, they're right outside the door. Our economy is in jeopardy. What do we do? That is when you look at verse 1. Isaiah is given a vision. Who does he see in the vision? He sees the Lord. Where do you get that? What verse? In verse 1, and again, verse 5. He says he sees the Lord. Now, how do you figure that when you go to the book of Exodus and in the book of Exodus, he told Moses, if anybody sees me, they shall die. Okay? Well, this might be one of those rare, rare moments because Jesus made this comment in John chapter 12. Jesus referring to what Isaiah saw when he's quoting Isaiah, he said he saw God's glory and then he spoke of him. So, Exactly, exactly what visage did he see? We don't know all the details, but he saw the Lord where this was seeing him and his glory, and it had a profound impact upon Isaiah. And it was a tremendous impact. That comes to a point is why did God give that vision at this one moment? What is the reason for Isaiah getting this, this vision that he was supposed to then record and take to others? Some would suggest this. Some would say that this is when Isaiah is called to the ministry. That's not true. He was, you go back to chapter 1, and he was already involved with knowing God was leading him. He is getting this several years after he is ministering. Why does God do that? Why does God give him this vision? I suggest to you it's for this reason. It is God telling him that no matter what is happening in the world around us, no matter what is happening in the world around us, we need to be faithful to the one above us. No matter what's happening in the world around us, we need to be faithful to the one above us. And there's two reasons why in this text. This text that you're so familiar with. One reason is God is still God. God is still God. Look at the passage and look at when he starts talking. When you start going right through the verses, you have them right in front of you. Isaiah 6, you look at verse 1. And in verse 1, God is still God. And where is God at that moment? He's on his throne. In, despite all that's going on, God is still on the throne. That's a very important thought for you and I to remember. God is still God. He is still on the throne. He has not been voted off the throne by a political entity. He has not been overthrown by the Assyrians. God is still on the throne. God has not been disabled by COVID. God is still on the throne. In fact, he not only says that God is still God because he has, he's still on the throne, but he says God has power. Look at the phrases. I give you one. High and lifted up. Look at the verses that are, that are there. Do you see any other phrases that indicate God still has great power? Any other phrases in, the, in verse 1, 2, 3? What's that? I'm sorry. The angels are bowing down before him, and what are they crying? Oh, God is still powerful. What else do you see? The earth is filled with his glory. He hasn't lost any of his power. What else do you see? 
Okay. Where, which verse is that? Do you have it here? Verse 3. Okay. The Lord of hosts. Okay. Okay. The Lord of a vast domain, which would be referring to the angels. Any other phrases that catch you that say God's powerful? When he speaks, when he speaks, right? And that's down in verse 4, okay? When the, the, some suggest it's the angel, some suggest it's the Lord. But in that heavenly realm, when there is speaking done, the whole place is shaking. Does it remind you of the book of Acts? When all of a sudden the Holy Spirit came on and the place was shaken? In Acts chapter 5, when the believers got together and they prayed, the place was shaken and they were filled with boldness? There's another thought here. It says that in the end of verse 1, there is something else filled the temple. What do you have? His train. Is that this choo-choo-choo-choo thing? What do, you, what do you know? What does he mean by the train? Okay. He's talking about a robe. And if you understand ancient cultures, oftentimes the attire that authorities wore, they were indicating their power, their victories. There is a suggestion that even in this time that some of the kings on their robes would have markings about who they overthrew or some of their victories. Well, God has this huge robe that's indicative of his greatness. And how long is this robe? Okay, it's long. It fills the temple. Something else is filling the temple here as well. Did anybody see it in verse 4? The smoke. What do you think about smoke that usually evaporates? This one isn't evaporating. It isn't disappearing. What other passages describe God's power seen in smoke or in a cloud? Okay, Mount Sinai, there was the, there was the uh, clouds filling, there was the, um, the uh, thunderings, the lightnings, as well as there was a pillar of fire at some times, and what else led the people? This cloud, okay, and it was suggested this could be his Shekinah glory that hasn't faded at all in all of these years. God is still powerful. So we have all these phrases about God and his power, that it's there. Let me add this, okay? Let me add this, that God who is still God, he was not weakened a bit with the loss of Uzziah. In fact, Uzziah, the king of Israel, of, of Judah, is, he's what at this moment? This isn't, a, this isn't a trick question. Uzziah is dead, but what about the real king of the Jews? He's alive, seated on a throne, okay? Because he's the one who really wants to be ruling. He intended to be their theocratic ruler all along. The people wanted kings, and so the, the kings that they wanted, they dissipated. They died. They, they, they lost their abilities and powers. But the one in heaven who is the real king of the Jews... He was still alive. Not a bit of him was at all affected by the weakness. And the angels say he is holy, holy, holy. Not a bit of him has been diminished by the loss of Isaiah. It's an amazing passage when you keep on going, talking about he is over creation. How do we know that? I think you have mentioned this already, that the whole earth is filled with his glory. This is an amazing thought. When you think about him being not only above the angels, but the earth filling his glory. Do you remember back in Bible days what the people thought about the deities? They thought that the deities were localized. Okay, so there was a deity, there was a, a god of Lebanon, there's a god of Myerstown, there's a god of Cleona, a god of Palmyra, a god of Hershey, a god of Ono, a god of Lancaster. Who's the most powerful god? How do you prove the most powerful God? 
go to battle? Who's ever given the victory or who's ever given the most prosperity? And so their idea is gods are localized. Uh Uh-uh. He is saying my power, my glory spreads where? All over. You may be thinking that these Assyrians have some powerful deities, but I'm more powerful than them. It's an amazing God how he was reassuring the Jews by saying, this is the God that is still alive. He is still God. He is caring for his world. He hasn't hasn't abdicated. He is still caring, or maybe in your notes I left it in that he has contact or, or interaction with his creation. I rephrased it this way. He really cares for them. He cares enough that he comes to Isaiah. He cares enough that he wants to get a message to these people. And so he's saying, Isaiah, I, I'm not distant. Even though you feel like there's these threats coming, even though you feel like you know, heaven at sometimes feels like brass, I'm, not, I'm here. I'm, I'm around. I, I am still powerful. I am still over everything. And nothing of me has diminished and I still deserve glory and adoration. Now, this is important because sometimes we, we get really bent out of shape. We get our whole life seems topsy-turvy when all of a sudden there's a medical situation. If you've not been through it and it happens... And you go to the doctor and they say, we got to do some tests for the big C, cancer. Your world will feel like it's been turned on its head. You will probably eat and sleep that cancer possibility for several days. If all of a sudden you have gone through where you have lost a spouse, a parent, a loved one very close to you, there's moments where you're just like, wow, Lord, My world is shattered. At those moments, God still deserves praise and adoration. He is still God. My my friend, listen to me. We get all upset over the political situations. God is still God. Washington, D.C. has not diminished God in any way. He hasn't. He, he is still God, and he deserves our adoration and praise for his greatness. Do, do we like what is happening in our culture? None of us do. But God is still God. God is still in charge. God is still in control. He hasn't been voted off the block. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he is solid? So we, we learn about this, that the angels, they're not panicking in heaven. Because they know, they know he's still in charge. Uzziah's dead, and yes, everybody's got an upsetted world, but God is still God. And so we get this thought that we go, wow, this is the God that we worship, not diminished in any way by the loss of Uzziah. In fact, can can God still work on Judah's behalf without having Uzziah there? Yes, absolutely. Which brings us to this thought, okay? That in the midst of our struggles, whether it be health issues or riots or good being called evil and evil being called good or financial crises or you look at the school system, we still trust. And not only do we trust, we trust and obey. We trust and obey. Why is that? Because God is still God. So we said there's two reasons why in this passage, that no matter what's around us, we still 
Trust in him and remain faithful to him that's above us. I've given you number one. God is still God. Number two, which is very important. It's the rest of the chapter. God is still at work. God is still at work. God has not abdicated and given up on Judah. In fact, God is saying in this text, which is interesting, he asks a question. As Isaiah is absolutely dumbfounded and astounded by God's greatness, and he falls down and says, woe is me, I am of unclean lips, I am undone. God asks him a question. What does God ask Isaiah? Right before that. Okay? Oh, I'm sorry, right after that. I said that wrong. Whom shall I send? What else do you have? Who will go for us? Hey, by the way, you look at that, that little phrase, take note of a couple thoughts. What, what is the theological teaching out of this one text? One God, many gods, who will go for us? The Lord singular says, who will go for us? What is indicated here? The Trinity, yes. Okay, at least more than just a single, uh, a single essence within the, within the Godhead. So we know that that's there. That's an underlying theological truth. But one that's really profound is God has a plan. In a world that is upside down, God still has a plan. God has a mission. And God in this mission wants to use people. This is an amazing thought. Could God use the angels to get his work done? Yeah, but what does he choose to use? People. People. People who are still there. And so he's basically saying, hey, I want to use people. And Isaiah is going to be the one that responds. And basically say, here am I. Send me. And this is amazing when you think about this. That he is willing to be God's representative to carry this message that God is still on the throne and he's willing to represent God no matter, and I have several no matters here, no matter how wicked the people have become, God still wants to work in their hearts. And when you look at this text and you, you put it in its context, you go back to chapter 5 and in chapter 5 you will read multiple times it will have the word W-O-E, woe, woe to the people, woe to the people. What is he talking about? The Jews have backslidden. The Jews have gotten away from the Lord and God is going to chasten them, talking about judgment. And yet, here's the point, God hasn't given up on them. God still wants them to hear a message, to come back and to serve him, no matter how wicked. Has our country come to a point where good is evil and evil is good? Okay. Does God still want us to take the message to them? Yes, because God is not willing that any should perish. And so no matter how the wicked pe- the people have become, God says, I still want to do a work. What's amazing to me is no matter how wicked the messenger is, God wants to use him. Was Elijah a holy, godly, 100% pure saint? No. No. Look at what Elijah says. He says in this passage, verse 5, I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of what? Okay. Why does he pick on the lips? Why why do you think he does that? Because our words come from where? Our heart. 
Our words show what our heart is. True, false? Okay, we, we want to love the Lord and we want to sing the hymns on Sunday and then with our lips on Monday we'll lose our temper. Or we'll get involved with gossip. Or we'll, we'll lose control and say something we wish we didn't say. Or we'll, we'll spurt out one of those words we wish we didn't say. And it just reminds us, I'm a wicked person. In my heart, I, I, I am just, I am a sinner. Woe is me, I'm undone. Before a holy God, I don't deserve to stand before a holy God. I am, I am a sinner who deserves to be woed or condemned. Do you, do you agree that that's you? Is that you before God? We, but what is it? God, by His grace, He purges our iniquities. Just like what's pictured here. Then the angel, not, not Elijah, but the angel, the seraphim, the burning one, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs off the altar, he laid it upon my mouth and said, this has touched your lips. And by the way, the angel confirms that, Isaiah, you're wicked. Your iniquity and your sin, they've been purged. And so by an act of God in heaven, his angel, all of a sudden by what God has initiated, there is a purging of sin. And, I, and, he, and Isaiah, he recognizes, I am not a sinless creature and God would use me? He could use these burning ones. That's the word seraph. He could use them. They're more powerful. But he would use me. Think about it. God would use you. That's amazing. No offense to you. Okay? I started with me, so we're all in the same boat. Why would God use us? Because he chooses to. By grace. That God is still at work. Even though we are sinful creatures, it's just absolutely amazing that God would do that, no matter how little or much we know. Because in this text, God says, I want you to be my representative. I want you to go say, say and talk to the people. And Isaiah asks the question in verse 11, how long, Lord? I, I don't know how long I'm supposed to do this. Doesn't worry. It uh, doesn't matter. Don't worry about it. You just be available and serve me, even though you don't know how long it's going to be. You don't know how long it's going to take to win somebody to Christ. Some of you are so sensitive spiritually. You heard the word one or two times and you responded. A lot of us in this room, we had to hear it a lot more times. And then there's some that had to hear it for years and years. One of the men that's down in this church was telling me after the message, he said that his, when they got saved, they were witnessing to one of his brothers who his family was from the Scranton area. And they were witnessing to the youngest one of eight kids sharing the gospel. And his youngest brother turned and said to them face to face, get out of my house and never talk to me about godly things again. That was years ago. They said we tried to share the gospel. He was absolutely obstinate and didn't want any communication. Got upset when there was tracks in Christmas cards. Do you know what that man is doing tonight? He's getting baptized in a church up in Scranton tonight. Okay? God, was, God is at work. God is at work. And so he says, no matter how the people are going to respond, in those verses, if you read them, God is saying you're going to go out and preach, and as you preach, you're going to make the heart of this people heavy, their ears will be, uh, their, their souls will be fat, their ears heavy, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears. What's he saying by that? You're going to give the word of God, and as you give the word of God, it's going to convict, but they're going to get hard-hearted. 
They're not going to listen. It reminds you of Pharaoh, that God was giving messages, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. Does it remind you of the Jews in the New Testament, that some of those Pharisees, the more that they got the word, the more upset they got? Or does it remind you of the Apostle Paul before he got saved? The more he heard, the greater conviction he came under. And then he finally responds. But God is saying in this text, you know, some of these people are going to get really, really angry with you. They're going to, they're going to shut you down. And he says, how long should I do that? And then he goes on, he says, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without, man, without a man, the land be utterly desolate and the Lord has removed men far away. What's he talking about? He's talking about God's punishment coming on the people that Isaiah is supposed to be ministering to. They will not listen and God is going to take them out of the land for 70 years. They're going to be defeated. But I still want you to go and give them a message. I want you to give a message. Even though the bulk of them will not respond, even though there's going to be a lot of time that passes by, until, until, you just keep on being faithful. You be faithful and let me work because I'm going to work. Okay? But listen, it won't, it, it won't happen if we don't know his word. It won't happen if we don't go out and communicate. It won't happen if we're not loyal. We need to go out and continue to give out the word, and there's a reason why. I'll give you three reasons as we conclude. Number one reason why we need to remain faithful and give out the word of God and keep on doing it no matter what's going on around us is number one reason is because this is what God wants. Who will go for me? Whom, whom can I send? God wants you to represent him at work, at home, at, in your neighborhood. He wants you to share his, his truths. Do you, do you remember when David, uh, David was king, and David is at a time where he's running for his life, and he says to his soldiers one night, oh, I remember being able to drink at a pool at Bethlehem. You know how you have these moments? Will you remember some food from your childhood? Do you, ever have, do you ever have those good moments, or is it all bad? Okay. Do you ever have a craving for something? No? Yes? Okay, some of you do. Okay. Where you just say, ah, I remember calf liver smothered with onions. Oh, it was so good and so healthy. No amens. I don't understand that. Okay. Yeah, see, that's because you love the Lord. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so we get a yen for something. David has a a yen for certain water. Do you remember what one of his men does? Actually, a couple of them. Do you remember what they do? They go down, they break through the enemy, and they get the water, and they bring it back. And David's kind of astounded. Why did you do that? Because you wanted it, and you're our king. God, why, why do I go out and share the word? Why do I go out and remain faithful? Because, God, you wanted this. You're still on the throne. You're still God. I'll give you a second reason. Second reason is because what God has done for you. What God has done for Isaiah. Isaiah, as we already mentioned, Isaiah understands he's cut off. He deserves to be separated from God. He, he, that he couldn't cleanse himself. The angel had to do it. As we already pointed out, the angel says, yeah, yeah, your sin, your iniquity, it was there, but it's been purged. This is exactly what we remember tonight. That we were woe and undone, but by God's grace, God forgave us and purged our sins. For that reason... 
we need to remain faithful because of what he's done for us. There's a third reason given in this text. The third reason is mentioned down in verse 13. He says, but yet in time shall one-tenth return. Some people are going to listen. Some people are going to respond. We know that the way is broad and many that go therein, but there is a way that is narrow and some will respond. And so in this text he's saying, God's saying to Isaiah, go be faithful, I'm going to use you. It's going to be tough. Not everybody's going to jump at it, but I'm going to use you. And I'm going to work in through you. Us as a church, if, we're, if we remain faithful and continue to do the task of giving out the word, working and praying and saying, God, please, please use us. God says he'll remain faithful. I gave you a story already this morning about somebody I talked to, how they faithfully tried to share the word and eventually, after years, boom, the brother got saved and getting baptized tonight. In the last few weeks, is Pastor Kim here in the room? Where are you at? Oh, I need you to come out and stand here. Can you come over here and, and talk? I know you can talk. Okay. We have been doing a ministry that he's been spearheading and a ministry that has been going to the addiction center. How's it gone the last month at the addiction center? The Lord is blessed. Fantastic. So, uh, you share my Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. So you, uh, I'd asked you to pray because we had two different funeral services this week. And so uh, we'd prayed, said to you, and some of you were here for the prayer night last Wednesday and said, well, I think we're going to have an opportunity to share the gospel. Well, I'm going to take the opportunity to share the gospel at a funeral. And so we shared the gospel, and beforehand, um, a fellow came, uh, one of Virginia's sons is a preacher, down south, and he was here for her funeral, and he said, hey, really, he says, I'm really praying for one of my brothers. One of my brothers is this close. We have been witnessing to him for years and years and years, and so you, you make sure you preach the gospel today, and it's, you know, he said that to me three times, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, that's, that's going to happen, and uh, so he says, make sure you, you know, just really keep my brother in prayer, and I said, well, we're going to share the word, we'll pray, and when I gave the invitation, the first hand up was the young man, was the, the brother, and afterwards I asked him, I said, so, you know, what'd you think? 
And he said, I know I'm going to heaven. I know. I just know for sure now I'm going to heaven. Isn't that cool what God can do? There was another person. Yesterday we shared the word of God as well at another funeral service. And when we were done, most everybody came up and said that they had prayed at one time. It's just how God puts us in unique situations. You know, situations that I'll never touch lives the way you do. We, we won't cross paths. But God's going to use you. God's going God's to work through you. This is what God wants to do. If we remain faithful, as much as we get discouraged with events and circumstances and politics and life in general, remember this, okay? That God is going to use you. He's going to work with you because God has said. This is interesting. Isaiah is the one who writes, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that which I please. Isaiah writes that years later. Why? Because Isaiah knows. God is still at work. God will use you to make a difference. God will use you to make an impact. My friend, don't quit. Remain faithful. Don't let somebody else take an opportunity of teaching. Or taking an opportunity of sharing the word. Don't, don't leave it to somebody else to say, let, let others do things like reenactments. Let others do things like giving out tracts. You do it. You do it. You get involved in being faithful. And watch what God is going to do through your heart. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the way that you have worked in our lives, how you have blessed, how you have used so many people in this room in so many different ways. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way that you have given us the privileged opportunity to hear your word and to respond. Now, Lord, we pray, help us to be faithful in giving out the word. Use us to be able to help others come to know you as their Savior. And as we come to communion this evening, help us to be focused. Help us to be challenged. Help us to be drawn close to you in appreciation for what you have done for us. Thank you. We love you. Help us to be faithful to you. Amen.